Hello and welcome back. Today we will be studying Pastor Merritt's Old Testament Overview Lesson 17. Last lesson we started the doctrine of the blood after completing uh, the story in the history on the ark and Noah. Before we begin, as is our custom, Let's remember 1 John 1 9 as may or may not be necessary. Lesson 17 of the Old Testament Overview. We will be beginning at about halfway down page 4 if you're following along in the outline. Uh, just just about the middle of the page, slightly above the middle, at point 15. The sinner is delivered from slavery to sin through the release, redemption, which Christ's blood has purchased. Ephesians 1.7 reads, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Point 16. Thus, the church is described as purchased with his own blood. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Point 17. By the blood of Christ, Christians have been justified. Romans 5, verse 9. Loosed from sins, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Sanctified, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. And redeemed, Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Revelation 1, 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Hebrews 13.12 And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Point 18. Again, a principle of hermeneutics, the first-time use of a word in Scripture, determines use later in all subsequent passages, unless context dictates otherwise. 18.1 So, as you can see, the blood in both the Old and New Testaments was a symbolic representation. Point 19 And the early uses found in the first four books of the Old Testament the term blood means the life of the flesh is in the blood. Therefore, the death of the animal and its blood was the atonement symbol. 19.1 Keep in mind, we have seen in several scriptures, particularly Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 through 4, where the animal sacrifices were only a symbol and were not to be considered as an efficacious atonement for sin. Point 20. 
The blood, therefore, was always symbolic of the death of the flesh of the animal and accordingly symbolic of Christ's spiritual death. Point 21. Arndt and Gingrich, on page 22 of their lexicon of the New Testament, conclude the blood of Christ must mean his spiritual death. Point 22. If blood then is purely symbolic as a teaching aid, it must therefore only be a symbol of Christ's spiritual death in the New Testament. 22.1. Many other grace scholars have come to this conclusion. As you can see from this exposition, there is little doubt that the literal blood of Christ did nothing in terms of our so great salvation. Point 23. So why all the fuss today when the literal blood is said to be symbolic? 23.1. The early church from 32 to 320 A.D., had no problem with the blood. 23.2. The Catholic Church in 320 AD introduced the literal blood theory. Wine was said to turn into the real blood of Christ when you took communion. 23.3. They also added that the blood covered you from one communion to another and therefore a work was added to salvation. 23.4. This was false doctrine denying the efficacy of the spiritual death of Jesus and his resurrection. Accordingly, a great swell of reaction. 23.5. Protestants denied the phenomena of communion, wine becoming Christ's blood, but continued to use the term blood of Christ as synonymous with that which brings salvation. 23.6. This use of the term was never considered anything other than a metaphor used for what Christ did for all believed. It was not until the blood came under attack from several liberal, German primarily, theologians who considered blood too ghoulish. 23.7. The reaction today to the correct teaching of the blood as symbolic seems to be a product of emotion rather than rational thought. 24. Summary Christ, while on the cross and full of blood, said his work was done, and then he gave up his human life by choice, because our so great salvation was complete. John chapter 19, verse 30 When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. 24.2 Christ did not bleed to death on the cross. John chapter 19, verse 31 through 34. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate, that their legs might be broken, and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers, and brake the legs of the first, and the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear 
pierced his side, and forthwith came from out blood and water. 24.3. Christ died of his own free will. John chapter 10 verse 18. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. 24.4 The blood of Christ depicts his saving work on the cross. 24.5 It is important to recall this categorical study when we see the term shedding of blood and remember it as a metaphor for Christ's death on the cross i.e. his spiritual death. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 16 through 10, 9. 24.6 Though a modern world is offended by substitutionary sacrifice and sacrificial blood. 24.7 God promised Israel in Exodus chapter 12 verse 13 When I see the blood... I will pass over you, and the plague should not be upon you to destroy you, when I smite the land of Egypt. 24.8 Accordingly, though not suited to the sophistication of our 21st century, the blood of Christ as a symbol of Christ's spiritual death is exceedingly precious in the sight of the Lord and is the only cleansing agent for sin. Point 25 Now let's return to Genesis chapter 9, beginning at verse 5 with comment. Chapter 9, verse 5 and 6. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood... By man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God man he made. Comment. Man failed even in perfect environment. He is now starting anew. But into the post-Diluvian world, mankind drags sinful baggage. God now proceeds to assemble rules and protocol to control mankind. Post-Diluvian man like Adam and Eve, after the fall is both sinful and evil, full of excuses and self-justification. Barnhouse writes, Man might have said, Things have become so bad because Cain wasn't properly dealt with. If we had conducted a town meeting and exercised the weight of public opinion and judgment, we could have brought about righteousness. I shall now put that idea to the test. God replies, I hereby institute the reign of human authority. I commit to man the right of the death penalty. Here is our first divine cachet of capital punishment. God has placed his stamp of approval on the penalty for murder. In fact, he ordered implementation of capital punishment for homicide. This was done in order that we might be fruitful and multiply. Genesis chapter 9 verse 7 And you, 
Be ye fruitful, and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. Comment. The biblical truth, in the image of God made he man, has been much discussed. Only in an accommodated sense can this phrase be applied to all men. For the image was clearly defaced in the fall. Like God, we still possess self-consciousness and volition. Further understanding of how original man was made in his image must await our death or the rapture. The survivors of the flood had a body, soul and spirit, and this puts him above animal and vegetable life. Surviving mankind possessed the spirit of life, Nepesh Chaya. This explains the great sacredness of human life. Genesis 2-7 And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And now, let's take a look at his sign placed in the heavens to signal the certainty of God's judgment and the wonder of his grace, the rainbow. Genesis chapter 9, verse 8 through 12. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed and every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you. From all that go out of the ark, to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. Verse 9, I establish my covenant with you. I will never again destroy the earth by water. Comment. Man has no claim whatsoever on God, any more than a vessel has a claim on the potter who formed it. God gave man life, and God continues to keep man alive. Man is dependent upon God for every breath he draws. But God has been pleased to bind himself by voluntary agreements called covenants in order that man might learn of God's grace. Now that the world has undergone the judgment of the flood, God makes a covenant with Noah and all creation and confirms it with a sign. God in his essence and for his reasons was moved by love and grace to give pardon and promise instead of wrath. As a token, he gave to Noah and his descendants a sign in the heavens. Verse 10. This covenant is made not only with man, but with every living creature. Comment. The covenant with Adam included all men. There will later be certain covenants 
which will apply to only Abraham and his descendants. The covenant with Moses applied to the Jewish nation. But here in the shadow of the flood, the lowliest bird, reptile, and insect had a place in the promise made to Noah. It was a creature covenant, and it came with a sign. Genesis chapter 9 verse 13 through 17. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the sign of the covenant, which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Verse 12, this is the sign. Comment. The mature believer should understand the judgment of the flood was well merited, and even the spiritual dullard should see the fiercest outbreaks of the nations, be it the violent acts in Rwanda, the horrific destructions of human life in Israel, the wars of destructions in Kosovo, and or the cascading twin towers where people were slaughtered in the name of religion, all serve as poignant evidence of the total depravity of mankind. But when the storms beat most fiercely upon the earth, there is the rainbow to remind all that God has promised never again to destroy the earth by a flood, and that the seasons will continue. The sign, however, does not change man for he has perpetually despised the riches of God's goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that God's goodness was calculated to lead him to repentance. Romans chapter 7 verse 4, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Verse 13, I do set my bow in the cloud. Comment. The sign of the rainbow should assure sinners that the forbearance of God is reigning, and we are under his grace. That's from Romans chapter 4, verse 1 through 8, and they read, what shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. 
but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That concludes Lesson 17 of the Old Testament Overview. Please visit westbankbiblechurch.com, westbankbiblechurch.com. Look forward to being with you next time. If there's anyone without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So long.